On today's show, we've got the competition winner coming up. And I think you've got news of another entry, which we shall probably skim over. Right. We've got news of Farmer Phil's new additions, and we want to hear about hornets. Ah, excellent. Okay. But first, I've got this email from Martin Wood, and he says, Dear Heather and Richard, I wanted to email to say thank you very much for using my review on iTunes on your blog. It made my day. Since Wiggly Wigglers were recommended to me by a friend when I was looking for a variety of bird boxes for my father's new vicarage garden in Surrey, which came with an acre of woodland, I have thoroughly enjoyed the output from your company. By that, I mean not just the products, which are great quality, I didn't pay him honestly, always been delivered promptly, but also the awesome podcast and your blog. I really value interaction when I shop, driving my wife mad by stopping to chat with everyone everywhere where we shop. Your business is proof that internet shopping can still have that element and putting my comments on your blog made me feel I could still shop online and have fun and the human interaction of face-to-face shopping. Anyway, enough of this gushing, he says. I thought you may like to see these pictures of some surprise visitors in our garden this morning. Oh, great. I was looking out of my window at the road and I saw a cat behaving strangely. Uh, Let's not go there, uh, he says. And I looked to see what it was tracking and saw a family of ducks, mum and 11 new ducklings wandering down our sunny cul-de-sac, miles away from any water other than the River Avon at Avonmouth. When spooked, the duck shot under a parked car and mum took off. I'm not sure whether interfering was a good idea or not, but I rounded them up in my tub truck and relocated them to my garden. Mother Duck has returned and has led her brood to a neighbour's garden where they seem to be happy. Keep up the good work, Martin. And then the funny thing is, you know when people put a disclaimer on the bottom of their email? Yeah. He says, please address all complaints to the Monsanto Corporation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fantastic. These are great photos. Look at these little tiny fluffy mallards. I should put them up on my blog, wigglywigglers.com blogspot.com yeah. but what have we got there Rich? Yeah, well, we've got what, what, uh, how many are there 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 oh, 11 little ducklings little mallard ducklings great and it's interesting he says he wasn't sure whether he, he did the right thing in interfering but I've got a feeling if he hadn't have done then chances are the cat would have either killed them not most of them biased. or they've got run over or something like that so um, yeah not that I'm biased but they're, they're incredibly vulnerable at this stage you know interestingly the duck might have 12 ducklings 13 ducklings or something sometimes but in two or three weeks you'll only see one or two with her chances are most of them get killed off. So at least with, you know, he's helping to protect them a little bit like that. And if they're in some sort of sanctuary of a, of a neighbour's garden or something, they stand a good chance. But they will nest in the most peculiar places and then take their young a long way to a river or a pond. So they'll, they'll nest a long way from a water course. Why? Um, generally for the sanctuary of that nesting spot. So if it's a suitable nesting place, it doesn't always necessarily need to be close to a, a pond or a river. Uh, if it's quiet and secluded, because a duck will have been sussing it out for, for, for several days, if not several weeks beforehand. Um, and then, but then, of course, she's got to get the young to that place afterwards, and that's where the real danger hits. 
They walk about quite a long way here, don't they? They walk, I mean, it's a mile or so between our pond and the next one down in Blakemere, and they'll yeah. walk backwards and forwards. You catch them walking up the road. Yeah. But yeah. interestingly, their biggest predator here is not Noah or the buzzards or the things that you might expect it. It's the crows, by yeah, and large. You, you have a big crow, and he'll pick them off quietly, they and they're very nearly defenceless. You know, there's not a lot they can do to protect themselves. No. I've seen, I've seen crows picking up, come down, and the mother's going ballistic, you know, trying to hurt up a great big brood. And, you know, little ducklings going all over, all panicking because they don't know really, really what to do. And the crow will come down because they're very savvy, very shrewd, you know, come down, grab a duckling and then off to take it, takes it away in its beak and there's a little duckling flapping away with his little fairy wings, you know, and it can't do anything about it. And the mother's going crackers and they take loads like that, which is such a shame. I mean, it's nature, I guess, but... Is it such a shame because the ducklings seem so sweet and yeah, yellow and fluffy? Yeah, I think, I think so. It's that human sentiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Crows, crows are not very black nice. Black and sinister and the duckling is... Uh, they're particularly pretty. Um, unpleasant personality crows. They're, they're very aggressive and nasty, I think. I don't yeah. like... Yeah, seagulls can be. Herring gulls are a bit the yeah, same exactly idea. The same. Yeah. But the smaller gulls are much nicer temperament. But a big old crow, they, I don't like them much. I've seen uh, I've seen ducklings at uh, Boss Castle. This is one example. Come down from the river into the the harbour area there, and within fifteen minutes, I've seen the whole batch of ducklings slaughtered by the herring gulls, taken all away. Within fifteen minutes, the mallard has no chicks. Why didn't you do something You can't do anything about it. Mm. Well, you could have had a shotgun. (laughs) I'm not sure you're you're not allowed to shoot gulls, are you? You can get a licence in certain places. Yeah, it's not not like Officially, they're protected. Yeah, they are protected. A crow, you can shoot a crow as vermin, but you you can't shoot gulls, I don't know. See, gull populations have exploded off the back of landfill sites and whatnot. And also, you can't harvest herring gull eggs anymore. Years ago, folks could go and... You know, get a load of herring gull eggs from the cliffs, and that used to feed a lot of the villages at certain times mm. of the year because they're dead tasty. But it's illegal to do that now, so as a consequence, their gull populations have exploded and compromised the populations of other species. So, time to find out the competition winner and the answer to. <laughs> Rich, you had one entry that wasn't quite right. Would you like to tell me about that? I did have an entry. I've, I've forgotten the guy's name. Um, but he, he thought that... <laughs> I mean, listen to the sound. It's well worth listening to the sound when you hear the answer to this question. He thought that it might well be cows mating, or at least a bull and a cow mating, or bulling, as Phil calls it. Which is... Uh, so I, I did reply, I said, look, you know, I, I, I appreciate how you might have got to that conclusion. But, well, but they, no. To be quite honest, they don't, they don't make any noise, particularly, when they're doing that, as Rich and the uh, recycling officers found out the other day. <laughs> so yeah, they're quite quiet, aren't they? They don't, they don't make a lot, of, a lot of racket about it. So I'm afraid that wasn't the right answer, really. That no. wasn't Penguin performing. No, no. No, but that was the clue, wasn't it? Bulls. Because the answer was? It's a penguin. It is. What <laughs> sort of penguin? penguin? It's a, a, an African penguin, a jackass penguin. Uh, hence, the, uh, hence the jackass-like call. But it's Does a it ride around sound, on skateboards, crashing into things and that it's, sort of thing, or not? No, no. It, it, literally, they stand there and then they make that most peculiar sound. And I, I think they tend to make it towards the end of the day more when they're 
communicating with their mates, you know. The jackass bit is more the noise rather than the intelligence yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so, now to announce the winner who will receive the Wiggly book and the Wiggly baseball cap is Victoria Leachman, and she is in Wellington, New Zealand. Oh, wow. There you go. So we'll be sending that over to you, Victoria. I'll be emailing you shortly to get your address. And hope you enjoy your book and your baseball cap. I can guarantee that there isn't another one in the whole of your country. (laughs) (laughs) There isn't another one in all this country, is there? (laughs) No. But especially there isn't in New Zealand. No. (laughs) And then I've got Glenn who is a software engineer and actually a counsellor in Swindon. And he has written a whole piece about the can of worms and what it's meant to his lifestyle. So if you want to know about setting up a can of worms, then you have to go to Podcast 81 and have a look at our video. It's a bit like Laurel and Hardy, but apart from that, it's quite funny and it will tell you how to set up the kit. You don't have to guess which one's which. (laughs) Can you do an impression of I've done it wrong again? No. Right. <laughs> You'll have to do an impression of that's another fine mess then, will you? That's another fine mess you've oh, got I me see, yeah, <laughs> yes. I, was, I wasn't with you there quite, yeah, no. I could, do, I could just do that, yeah. <laughs> Richard scratched his head, but yeah. obviously you can't see that. No. Anyway, he reckons that he's been able to reduce the amount of dustbin bags that he's putting out from three to one and a half. Right. Part of that has been used in the can of worms, which he's had for a year. So thank you, Glenn. And, of course, they put the headline, Glenn worms his way into a greener lifestyle. I've had everything from I've wiggled Prince Charles's worm to wiggling our way down the wiggly lane to Heather worms again. I want to hear about your hornets, Rich, but just before we do that, if you haven't had a chance to subscribe to the Wiggly E-News, do it. You get all these deals at the moment. There's tons of tulips, and they're 30 quid. Barkin. Yeah. doesn't say deals, but you know there does happen to be that secret deal. Right. Not for long, though, because I know that Anne's picked all the tulips now. Yeah. Actually, by the time this goes out, they'll be gone, but they'll be the next great thing, so... <laughs> That's a really good deal, that. Yeah, that was a really good deal. You've missed it. You've missed it. Sorry, listener. But there you go. You should subscribe. Rich, tell us about your hornets. (laughs) The hornets. Let me prod a hornet's nest. We had a a little chat about hornets last year. Do you remember the NEC? Mm. The NEC Gardens. And I brought one in. Or someone brought one in and said, what's this, Rich? I said, oh, it's a hornet. This year, I've got a hornet nesting in a hollow telegraph pole that I've used. I've terraced a vegetable patch. I live on a bank. And I've got these old telegraph poles that I've used to, to terrace. And, and, of course, the, the middles of these telegraph poles tend to rot out first. So, anyway, there's a hornet going in there, nesting in there. Massive queen. Probably got to be a couple of inches long. Beautiful. They are huge things, aren't huge. they? Huge, yeah. Because I saw one here a couple of days ago, and it disappeared into the roof of the garage. Right. So that one assumes that if it was a queen, I didn't really see it close enough to decide whether it was. It just looked like an enormous sort of slightly different coloured wasp. Yeah, yeah. But my, my only experience of hornets, apart from that, is they quite like nesting in the ground somewhere close to water. Right. And so the ditch banks and things like that. And that's fine until you're cleaning the ditch out with the digger 
and you put the digger bucket through the hornet's nest. Yeah. Because they seem to know where the driver's seat is. Yeah. They, and it's they, not good, then. No, definitely not. Well, I think the, the people... I mean, hornets are obviously a lot bigger than wasps, but the difference between a hornet and a wasp to look at instantly is that the, the hornets are brown and orange, whereas mm. wasps are black and yellow. I was going to say, they are a different colour, aren't they? But the, the configuration... Wasps are a lot more aggressive as well, I, I, I think. Hornets, hornets are pretty hornets, aggressive yeah, they, when they, you put a well, digger well, bucket to protect their own. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But they, they're, a lot more, they're a lot more docile, and they're, they're, you, can, you can often hear one coming past by that line, really dull. Can, can, I, can we have that again? Yeah. There it. It's more of a... Really, really, you know, deep, As opposed deep to a buzzing. Wasp. Yeah, and deeper, deeper than a bumblebee as well. Can I have a wasp one? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I was quite chuffed with this, but now I have to be careful. I must make sure I, I mention it to Sarah, because if she's there blundering around trying to water the peas and stands on the, on the top of the, uh, the telegraph post. But having, I think having said we can, that, we can Rich, negotiate our way around it. Make sure you know which telegraph pole it is, because when Rich is blundering about and moves the wrong one, and they yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they have any benefits? Are they any use? Are they, they are. They're incredibly significant. And uh, I mean, many years ago, twenty years ago, they were rare. You didn't really see hornets mm. this far. You know, they were sort of restricted to southern England. But but now, I mean, I've certainly I've noticed the last few years, there's quite a lot of hornets and nesting, and people have mentioned that they've got hornets nesting in various places. But they will. They're very predatory, you know, they're very predatorial, and they'll take literally hundreds of thousands of, of pest insects, grubs and larvae and all sorts of things to feed their larvae with, feed their own larvae with, when they set up a nest. Because not only hornets, I mean, you and I have seen, we've, we've sort of got one or two others of similar families, aren't there? There are pine wasps, which I hadn't seen until the last sort of couple of years. Yeah, right, right. And things like that. And I assume that their success is probably related to the same reasons that the hornets might be doing better. I think milder, I milder winters. Yeah, I think milder winters. Pine wasps are different. They're not a wasp in the, in the, that we imagine in the conventional sense and that they, they sting and then they have big nests and whatnot. And they literally sort of drill into a, a pine tree or a soft wood tree, some, a coniferous tree of some description. Um, and lay their eggs in there, and then the larvae obviously develop inside there, and 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 are feasting on the, on the wood. But uh, I mean, hornets make their nests from wood, and so rather than bees that make their nests um, from wax, the combs that the, the the hornets make, so the hornet will go out, and you'll often see them on on invariably it's kind of hardwood, but sometimes you know it, it's kind of oak benches and things like that, and they'll be scraping away at the wood, and they'll mix that wood scrapings with liquid. The vegetable matter and whatnot, and mud and things, and they'll use that to create their nests with. So it's kind of an ingenious affair. A lot of work involved. Do they hibernate then, like bees? Mm, yeah, they do. Yeah, the queens will go off and hibernate, so they'll find a place to a suitable place to settle down for the winter time. Yeah, but not in the nest. They will occasionally hibernate in an old nest, or perhaps you know an old bird's nest in it. They'll hibernate in as well. So it's somewhere where they think they're not going to get disturbed in the winter time. But they're a lovely animal. I think they're probably one of my favourite animals. You know, hornets. People are going to be shouting at this podcast saying, there you are, he's off his head, they sting and we've got to kill him. Yeah, that's right. Such a shame. And you're right, listener. (laughs) He's off his head. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, maybe that part. But but the rest of it, I mean, you know, as we talked about last week, our uh, wasp nest that we found in the bird box at the end of the Wiggly Garden. Yeah. 
you know, we can leave it there because it's not going to it's not going to hurt anybody, and in many respects, it will benefit the garden and certainly you know the vegetable patch. You know, it's great. You can watch. You know, if you're if you're looking at ivy flowers, for instance, you always get you always get a, a whole plethora of of insects feasting on the on the nectar and pollen that the ivy flowers produce. And you can often watch hornets and wasps, for that matter, stalking insects. You know, they're kind of hovering over, looking for a vulnerable insect that's not going to get off that flag quick enough. And then, boom, bang, they've got it. And it's, you know, it's off back to the colony to, to feed a, a developing larvae with. So, yeah, fantastic things. I found a website about Vespa Crabbo. Crabro, is that right? Vespa Crabro. <laughs> the hornet. And it says, because of their size... Hornets make a louder hum than wasps, but in spite of their reputation, they are relatively docile and will rarely sting. So there you are. And then it says, but if they do sting, you will know about it. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to hurt. The pain is roughly proportional to the size compared to a normal wasp. So hope that nobody gets stung this summer from leaving your hornet's nest on the advice of Richard. And just to make an official disclaimer from Wiggly Wigglers, if you do want to stamp on it, <laughs> that's up to you. <laughs> no, 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 best not to stamp on yeah, it. I was going to say, that's not what to do, whatever no, you do. OK, if you want to run quickly, please do do that. Onward <laughs> to more friendly creatures. Right, more friendly creatures. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, in anticipation. What are these little royalist creatures that are coming here then, Phil? Well, ever since I've been a very little person, there are several things in life that I've always aspired to. One of them has always been some of these. Now, my father has always said, I can't have any of those. And years ago, we did have, we did have a few but it didn't work very well. And he said, I can't have any because they tend to graze at about minus two inches. So they ruin the field. Oh, They're right. giraffes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lying. I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't think of that. We've always, want, they are giraffes, we always have one giraffe. There's a picture of a giraffe right behind your head now yeah. as I look up at the wall. I think this house has probably about 22 pictures of giraffes. If you look yeah. really carefully. They're, yeah. not, they're not giraffes, but no. they are hairy. Right. They're hairy. Mm. Donkeys. No, they're edible as well. Well, I'm not saying a donkey isn't edible, but I probably uh, wouldn't eat donkey out of choice. And we are going to eat them. Greys. Hairy. Mm. Hairy, but with light pinky-coloured skin. <gasps> well, it's variable, but you're getting warmer. Uh, and we, we thought the pond and its muddy environs oh, would be... Oh, you're going to have some squealers. Oinkers! <laughs> <laughs> some PRGs. <laughs> isn't it exciting? We went to Home Farm and we met up with David Wilson, who's the um, farm manager for Home Farm, which is at Highgrove. And the thing is, he's passionate about organic farming. But the one thing that stuck in our mind was that he thinks that each farmer should take responsibility and have one rare breed or another of some animal. Right. Didn't he, Phil? Yeah, his, his point is that rare breeds or old-fashioned breeds have gene pools that we in the future might want the benefit from. Right. And that, so that, you know, obviously we all know that rare breed pigs, we get fantastic taste and texture of yeah, pork sure. from them. Yeah. And he was particularly keen on the fat quality of rare breed pigs. And in modern pigs, the fat quality isn't there. So that, you know, 
people today don't think in terms of eating the fat because it doesn't taste very nice and they perceive it as bad for them, whereas actually proper pig fat is both delicious and very good for you. Is it? Because it's the right sort of fat. Are you sure? Absolutely. <laughs> More so crackling wife, for me. So when I heard I say to Sarah, oh, yeah, Sarah says, what do you want for your barbecue tonight? I said, oh, get me some nice belly pork. She says, no, you can't have that because it's fattening. No, but it's, Heather knows more about the fats than I do, but proper pig fat is better for you. Have you any idea what sort of breed you're going to get? Well, we think we probably have a Tamworth and a large black. Oh, OK. Why, why those two? Because those are the, the two breeds that David keeps at Highgrove. Right. And also, the Tamworths are all, they're pretty characterful items. They're sort of russet brown and hairy with a long nose. And they're very inquisitive creatures and, you know, good laugh. Whereas the old black or large black is a much more traditional sort of... It's, it's, it's what you, you imagine the old farmyard pig looked like 100 years ago. So it's quite deep, quite blunt, snub nose, right. ears flopped over. And quite a hairy character, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're, bo- they're both hairy and right. obviously the, the, the large black is black. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. going to be quite difficult for us and we've discussed it with Monty as well. Right. Because the whole point is not that we have pets. No. The point is that okay. we keep two pigs in our field and that then when the time comes we yeah. eat them. Yeah. And I think that's going to be quite challenging. Yeah. It is challenging for people. But it's important that we do it because... Without a market for those rare pigs, then that won't keep the whole gene pool going. Yeah. And the idea is that if we get on okay, that we'll actually start to breed some and see how we get on. Yeah, definitely. See, what's interesting for people, the people listen to this now, is that people often assume that farmers grow their own products and then eat their own products. But of course, the reality is that you don't really grow and eat your own products, do you, really, by and large? It's, it's quite interesting that there's a lot of farmers who... There's a lot of farmers who do eat their own sure. meat, but there are equally a lot of farmers who are, are not terribly comfortable with it. I mean, Heather used to be involved with her dad's sheep, yeah. and as a result, she's not terribly keen on lamb. Right. I, I'm quite happy with it, but I'd have a job to eat one of my cows. Eating the calves seems fine to me. I know it sounds sort of completely Irish, but I only know the calves for about sort of six months. Yeah. But when you've had a cow for 18 years, the idea yeah. of eating it, no, I'm not. No. And I think that's why certainly the British don't tend to eat horses because they only keep horses as pets. Whereas in countries where they do eat horse meat, they tend to keep them a bit more as we would keep a, a farm animal, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. You know, some and some. So it length. is a, a difficult thing. But in terms of the, what we're talking about with the pigs, the idea is that in the first instance, by having a couple to fatten and eat, it sustains the whole business so that David will have bred them and by buying the piglet off him that we then fatten them and eat them it sustains what he's doing and when we know a bit more about pigs because I know nothing about pigs it'd be great it'd be a great experience for you then really won't it it'll ruin the field yeah (laughs) but I've just got this vision of these pigs playing in the mud round the edge of the pond. I think we have a really good feature. And I just think that's fantastic. Yeah. And also, we've had pork from home-reared pigs from friends and neighbours, and it is a different ball game to what you would get from a commercially reared yeah. pig in the supermarket. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's one of the meats that benefits more than pretty much any other I can think of yeah. from being fed a varied diet and being brought up in a, a sort of farmyard environment. Sure. 
So you'll be able to follow this story because although Farmer Phil is indeed a farmer, pigs will be a new venture and the idea of eating our own stock is completely new to us. Yeah. So we'll have to see how we get on. And uh, the thing is, watch this space. We're going to take the recorder with us to um, Home Farm, talk to David Wilson about his farming and collect our oinkers at the same time. Superb. And then we've got to think of names for them. Yeah, and or, because, not, or not, as the case may Well, <laughs> I thought about it, and I thought they're going to have to have names. Yeah. It's going to be traumatic when we come to eat them anyway, but for the, the few months or whatever it is that we have them, they're going to have to have names because that's yeah. how it'll be. The unfortunate thing mm. about pigs as well is they are, they are very intelligent, aren't they? They're an intelligent animal. Mm. The Winston Churchill used to keep pigs, didn't he? Is that right? Yeah, and I think he said something like, now this is, I can't quote exactly what he did say, but he said something like, a dog will look up to a person, a cat will look down on a person, but a pig will look you straight in the eye. He said some good stuff, did our Winston? He did, he? he did, and, 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 and that's very, that is, um, pigs, you know, they, they respond to affection, they respond to communication, and so which makes it even more difficult to then kill something that you've kind of bonded with. Uh, but people do, but, uh, but people who I have met before have kept pigs and have killed them and have not been able to eat them after they've been killed. So it would be interesting to see how we go. Here's his actual quote. He said, I am fond of pigs. Dogs look up to us. Cats look down on us. Pigs treat us as equals. Is that right? Yep. Hey, I see. You can get everything on the internet. <laughs> it's amazing what you can get. Google.com. Also... I, I think my, my, uh, my interpretation sounds yeah. better. <laughs> I, th- I think I'm right in saying that, wasn't it Winston Churchill who, when accused by some female personage that he was drunk, he... Uh, told her that she was ugly but he would be sober in the morning which I thought was a <laughs> great repost <laughs> we've got to have that that was Michael <laughs> oh, superb that's great isn't it? pick the bones out of that then, yeah. Yeah. Um, upon being told by Lady Astor if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your tea. He said, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> we should have these, shouldn't we? They're like British sayings to go with southern sayings, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. OK, so next week we've got lots coming up on the show. Join us then. It's been lovely to have you. And it's goodbye from Heather on the Wiggly Sofa. And goodbye from me, Richard. And goodbye from me, Mr Heather Gorringe. Farmer Phil.